Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. At Bright Vibe, we believe everyone deserves to be happy. But in today's world, everywhere you turn, there is division and negativity. At Bright Vibe, we have created a global movement to bring 8 million people together who are inspired to live bright, live bold, and share bright vibes. Alone, it can be hard to change, but together we can change the world. Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. Well, Nick Johnson, welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. So happy to have you on today. You are, Thank you, you so are, much, Matt. Yes. Your accent, uh, as we were talking pre-show, you're not from Texas, right? That's not a Texas accent. <laughs> you're from Europe, right? Yes. So I was born in Sweden, in Europe, and then I grew, uh, I was educated in Australia, and then I ah. lived and worked the last 20 years in Southeast Asia. Yeah. I think I'm picking up the Australian accent a little bit. It's, it's, uh, I don't know what's... I don't know what a Swedish accent it sounds like right now, but it does sound Australian to me. Definitely. I've got some Australian friends and I find that the Austra my Australian friends, for some reason, we just click immediately. I spent a little bit of time in Australia and it was like, everybody there has some level of sarcasm. <laughs> and I found that I really, I mean, some, I mean, jovial, I should say jovial, yes. all people, right. But I remember flying into Australia and the, uh, immigration guy looked at my passport and he looked at me and he looked at my passport. He looked at me and he said, you look a lot better in your pictures. And then he just like smiled. I started laughing. I was like, I'm going to love this country. These are my people. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's so, fantastic. Yeah. Mm. So your, so your background, you have a book uh, called executive loneliness, and we're going to dive into that today. You also run um, a network for executives to support them and help them. But what's your professional background? What kind of brought you into this space? Well, I worked in PR, marketing and advertising and worked up my career that way. But then eventually I became a general manager, managing director. And then I was heading up actually a, a fashion company at one stage in, in Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. And then I was also managing in the medical industry, eventually managing hospitals and clinics again mm -hmm. as a manage, general manager. So that's the career path running and leading teams, basically. Mm. Okay. So in your book, you know, it talks about executive loneliness, but really this was your, your own path, right? You were an executive, you experienced the things that we're going to visit about today, which today on the show, we're going to talk about depression. We're going to talk about suicide. We're going to talk about isolation. We're going to talk about, you have a very unique perspective in that you talk to leaders daily of, of companies. And when we say leaders, obviously you're talking to usually the CEO or the owner of a business, but this really applies to anybody. I feel like this depression, isolation, loneliness really applies to anybody in the, especially in business, but anybody really in the world, right? This is a weird, a weird time that, you know, I have a lot of guests on the show. It's, it's like a pandemic, like loneliness, depression, and isolation is like a global pandemic that we're experiencing right now. And I don't, you know, I've, I've lived 50 some years on this earth. I don't remember ever actually feeling this lonely. And, and as we dive into your story today. There's a lot of similarities between my story and your story as far as a life, shared life experience is what I'll call it, right? There's some things in there. So you were a high functioning executive. You were running hospital systems. You run marketing companies. You run all these companies. But what were you experiencing? Well, looking back at my career, I realized, Matt, that it was a quite a lonely affair. And I think it's because the way the world is set up, you know, already at university, we are encouraged to study hard, to get scholarships, to get awards for topping the classes and so on. And, 
And, you know, winning became addicted to me. I, I really wanted to do well at university. I, I enjoyed going to those award nights and, you know, getting the trophies and so on. And, and that was my game. And then when I came into the workforce, I thought it was the same. <clears throat> I wanted to get the promotion. I wanted to get, I, had, I was so hungry to get the higher titles. And I only wanted to become managing director. There was nowhere else I wanted to go inside the organization. To the point where actually one of my jobs, believe it or not, but I was actually hired as a future managing director. That was what they were announcing for. And I applied for that. And out of 3,000 people, a few of us got that kind of role. So it's, you know, hungry for success. Yeah. And I think that's, you're describing a very typical, especially for men, but I know a lot of women are driven that way too, right? And it's a very... That's a societal thing that I think, especially people around our age grew up with, which was this, I've got some friends that call it the Mercedes eighties, right? So if you were growing up at any point in your adolescence or in the eighties, you were, you know, the Gordon Gecko mentality. It was like, you were supposed to, you know, go to college, get a degree, get out, be driven, 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 go to the top so that you could have the nice house and the nice cars and all this stuff. And I'll let you tell the story, but where did it lead you? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So having having that mentality in the workplace, yeah. If, if you work much harder than everyone else and you're putting in the effort, you know. So when people go home and maybe have some fun with the family, and if you continue to uh, work or all you do is, is socialize or network and do everything to get your career forward and educate yourself, then most likely that's what you're going to get. But that many times also unfortunately means that you have to step on toes of other people and colleagues and it's quite selfish. And that is what I didn't realize. And once I found myself at the top, I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. And then you're wondering, I gone through all this work all over all these years. Now I am where I want to be. Now what? And, you know, and that's, that's really what, what puzzled me. And it really, really made me insecure. To add to that, I was also twice laid off, for, off from senior positions, once because of a conflict, the second time because of merger and acquisition. And then you also wonder, you know, okay, I put in again all this work. I really loved my, uh, my, my job and suddenly you, you laid off from these roles and then you have to start all over again. And that was not something that I was mentally prepared for. Mm -hmm. And so when you say you weren't mentally prepared, so... How did that show up? How did that manifest not being mentally prepared for that? Well, I think in my case, and I know for many others also, is that we sort of define ourselves in the job. We have the business card and, and all the perks that comes with that. Once that's taken away from you, again, you sort of lose a part of your identity. And uh, linking back to what I just described before, perhaps many of us are what I talk about, anxious overachievers, you know, and in. So we are, we're working so hard to get this and to fill some gap inside us. And when that gap is met, then we're not happy there either. But then if it's pulled away from us, then, you know, we com get completely lost. And that's what happened to me. I didn't know how to explain it to anyone in my surrounding once I was laid off. I had no words. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've not been laid off, but I, through COVID specifically, I had several businesses that struggled, one that failed miserably and crashed and burned. My identity was shaken to its core because I had tied up so much of my success with my identity. And, you know, I'm this guy and I make money for people and I build businesses. You know, I'm the guy who has all the answers. And, you know, when shit hits the fan, I'm the one that picks up the pieces. And right, I was I was always the go to guy. And then during COVID, there was no fix, right, for my business. There was none. I twisted and turned and 
almost financially bankrupted just because it was just everything. I was just like, I know I can fix this, right? But it led to this downward spiral of depression, anxiety, of isolation, the point where I found myself, you know, not really communicating with people, not really going out and doing anything socially at all. I mean, during COVID and even post-COVID, it was easy to not do things because of that reason, right? It was like, you know, we're under lockdown, we're under quarantine, we're under right? all the, all of the things. And so, yeah, I, I got to a very, very dark, I would say probably the darkest I've ever been in my life. And I was surprised that it did, it stayed there for a long time. It wasn't like I hit a bottom one night in the middle of the night. And I joke with some of my friends that there's the dark night of the soul. I was like, yeah, I thought it was literally like a night or two. I didn't realize that this could go on for months and months. And for me, probably the better part of maybe a little over a year. Now, the darkest part was months, but it was a good year, year and a half of just like totally questioning all my beliefs. And when the businesses turned and started going downhill, it was like, do I know anything about business? Do I know anything about leadership? Do I know anything about management? Everything I've learned is a lie, right? It was just really, really, really hard. Yeah, exactly. And then perhaps there's a part of grief in that, you know, it's mm -hmm. almost like we lose someone and we lose yeah. part of ourselves and, and it takes time. We have to give it time. And sometimes perhaps again, being a high achiever, you might not be ready for it and you might not want to give yourself that time. That's the challenging part. And I think as we will talk about today, I think uh, what I wrote in my book and what I learned now though, is that we might be able to have a proactive plan for these things and be more ready for it though. Yeah. More prepared. And I think. And I think a lot of people have gone, you know, gone through that in whatever way, shape or form in the last three or four years, some type of identity crisis, some type of identity shift that kind of shook them up. Uh, and maybe it wasn't all the way down to their core, but some type of, I mean, that COVID was a good catalyst for change. And I think most people, well, we see a lot of that in the, the workplace, right? We see a lot of people that are shifting from, hey, this is my job and this is what I do to, hey, what do I want to do? What matters to me? You know, am I contributing in the world is, you know, what I do for a living contributing to the world versus just getting a paycheck and kind of having these two separate worlds, you know, before it was kind of like, I have my work and I have my personal life. And then at some point, you know, kind of during that COVID period, it was like, well, maybe I don't want these to be separate anymore. Maybe I want my work life and my home life to be, or my personal life to be a little bit more integrated. So I don't have to be two different people. That was kind of my experience of listening to people. Yeah, that makes complete sense, Matt, because what I remember from a couple of my last positions was that, you know, I was grinding it through and I didn't talk to anyone about the big challenges and how I felt internally inside those jobs. And while I performed well, there was some things, perhaps some, some relationships that were painful. There were some parts of the job that maybe I was insecure about. And instead of being very honest about this to someone, including my boss or getting a coach out, outside or asking for a mentor to help me with this. While I had a boss and I had a mentor I, uh, that was internally in the company, I didn't raise these points. Instead, I thought, you know, I'm paid to have these answers, so I shouldn't say anything about it. Instead, I was rushing out from work either for a workout or more often in, in the end, at least heading to the bar, having some drinks with my friends trying to forget all about it and not telling my friends about it and then coming back to the office the next day and the issue was still there. And that kept being the circle that I didn't break out from. And so you talk about this very openly in, in the book and in your website and social media that, you know, you did end up having a problem or I shouldn't say a problem, 
you can tell me how you describe your relationship with alcohol, I guess, at that point. Uh, a problem is probably an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. I didn't want to put <laughs> no, words in your mouth. No. It became an addiction. And, you know, yeah. um, so as I was going through sort of a, the identity crisis, let's put it that way, after I'd been laid off from two uh, jobs and I was in a new job, a really, really high demanding job. And that was ultimately the best job I ever been in. But I was insecure because I'd just been laid off from two other jobs. I felt, you know, should I feel safe in here? I remember having for a start a six month probation and I was terrified every day. I was just wondering, will I manage to make it? And when I eventually made it, I still didn't feel safe. I was making, playing up all kinds of stories in my head for what could go wrong and how I would be laid off again. And as soon as something small came up, I, in my head, I played it to be something really, really big to the point where eventually. I resigned from the job because I thought it's better I be in charge of the situation than being let go again. Mm. And I did that without discussing this through with anyone. I just resigned without really a solid plan. There was some other opportunities lying around, but nothing concrete. And with that, then I got a lot of insecurity and that led me to also divorce my wife and I moved country without a plan. And then alcohol came, became my friend and I used to be able to control it quite well. But suddenly when, with my life upside down, uh, it became a bad habit. And after a year or two, that bad habit suddenly was an addiction. Mm. And when did it finally dawn on you? It was controlling you versus you were controlling it. I guess, what was that? Was that a, a, an event or was it just kind of it finally was like, okay, I've, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. Well, you know. With addictions, we are, do everything we can to defend them and uh, making excuses. So if I'm looking back in 2015, when I started to have some challenges, I was still training physically at a good level. I was doing Ironman triathlons and I remember being in Ironman Australia and I had been drinking alcohol until two days before. And that's, you know, uh, you got to go out and swim a couple of miles in the ocean and stuff like that. Right. And I remember cramping in the ocean. And then, you know, looking back at it, of course, the shape I was in, you know, no wonder I could have drowned. But of course I defended it and thought that it was nutrition wrong or something like that. But looking back at it, you know, in, in 2015, obviously it was starting to become a problem. And 2016, I struggled to control it. And 2017, I just couldn't stop. I used to be able to say, you know, no, I'm only going to have some drinks on Friday night or whatever it was. But here it became a daily affair. All my friends, my social life was going to the bar after work and it became my life. And there, that's where I networked, that's where I did my business and, and so on. And I, and I couldn't see my way out of it eventually, but full of excuses rather than anything else. And so I guess at what point did you just do something about it? I guess I think that's the detriment and the, also the great gift of high functioning people is that we're super driven, <laughs> but we're driven and we can drive ourselves completely in a hole. But then we also usually have the tenacity to drive ourselves out of that hole. So what was your kind of, how did you navigate that? By then I was divorced and I had met a new woman who I was seeing and she didn't realize that I had a problem. She thought I was jolly and having a good time. And my friends were sharing on me also saying that, you know, Nick, it's good right. to see that you're not only working and uh, that you're not always doing sports. Good to see that you're coming out with us, you know. Mm -hmm. But in 2018, I I was gaining a lot of weight. I was putting on a lot of weight to the point where, you know, I was getting really, really unhappy about it. And uh, mm -hmm. I couldn't really go for a jog anymore. I was becoming really unhealthy. And 
and that gave me a lot of insecurities and and I was then looking back at my my father and my grandfather's blood works and their history knowing that you know we everyone have had heart attacks and died oh, wow. of of young age mm-hmm. and of course then when you, you you're in that mind space and I started to panic and looking at myself I thought I better go to the doctor and then of course I saw the blood works on myself you know cholesterol all over the place and everything and I thought my god this is over I'm going to die so of course the space I was in then mentally it just sent me in a complete shock and I was so anxious so worried and I remember lying on my bed in 2018 looking at my foot because that had swollen up as oh, wow. uh, like an elephant foot mm-hmm. and you know I went to doctors who did x-rays they couldn't find anything wrong with me and uh, of course, again, I was still trying to cover up about the alcohol addiction, and that didn't show too much. But what happened later on was when I saw a psychologist who diagnosed me as a psychosomatic illness. So mm-hmm. basically, I was I had so much pain inside me that it was yep. starting to show up on the outside, you know. And that's when I saw the come on, this is ridiculous. Yeah, and that's the moment <laughs> I I told my girlfriend who could have run away, uh, but she listened with empathy and dragged me to a doctor and told the doctor the truth. Mm-hmm. And from that on, it was pretty much a V-shaped uh, recovery mm-hmm. because I was exposed and there was nowhere to hide. I just had to sort it out. Mm. And there, yeah, and like you said, there was nowhere to hide. So there was probably some freedom in that kind of letting go of the all of the lies that you were telling yourself, all the lies mm-hmm. that you were telling others, right? Just sitting, I mean, the setting down mm-hmm. of the of those lies had to be a huge weight that probably felt like you lost physical weight at that point, just letting go, I would think. Yes, they say, you know, a problem shared is a problem halved. And that was how it felt already when I told the woman who's now my wife. And she then helped me to share this with the doctor. And after the doctor, she also helped me to go and visit a common friend of ours who has had some alcohol problems Mm. a few years earlier. And she gave me a few phone numbers. And the next day I was in a support group with other people who had issues in the past with it. And so again, I got that sympathy. I could listen here that I wasn't alone. You know, this is something that many people have gone through in the past. And I could see the path moving forward. And I said, okay, the, I will go through this. It's, the difficult parts is done. And that is uh, five years ago now. And since then, I have not had a drink uh, since Touchwood. And, you know, managed to, to get myself together and come back. Mm-hmm. And that's always something interesting, too, that I find. And I always like to relate, make it bluntly obvious in in my podcast that typically that which is our biggest pain point or that which is seems to be the most trauma in our life for a lot of people that come on the show that write books like you've done that that do stuff to help others that pain point becomes this rocket fuel for helping others it's like the superpower is uncovered but you gotta you gotta break right you gotta get to the point of at least having really honest conversations with yourself and others and then when you get there, then all of a sudden, so what you do now, you wrote this book, Executive Loneliness, and then, but you also run this uh, executive global network to actually help people that were in your space, right? You're in essence helping people that were you, if that makes sense. Yes, I was uh, then in 2018, as I was starting to feel better, I still didn't talk, should I say, officially about things. I was keeping it pretty ah. secret and silent. And But as I was getting better at losing the weight and getting back into good shape again and so on, then uh, something happened a year later that changed everything. A friend mm-hmm. of mine died of suicide. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that, you know, this could have been me. I was going down that path, certainly, if I would have continued to not look after myself. And that's when I called up uh, 
my friend's brother and asked him if I could share what happened with me. And that's when I decided to go viral. And I did it on a video on LinkedIn and I set up a fund uh, where I raised money and awareness and it went viral. And within 24 hours, I was on live TV, radio, and it was all these newspaper articles. And until then, I'd never shared my story. And they asked me all these things and (laughs) I shared it because I was in a shock, but then you cannot take it back, right? Right. So that was the start of the book. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. And so let's get into what, because, you know, we've been talking about kind of the darker side of the experience, but then in your book, Executive Wellness, what are some of the things that you outline to keep people mentally healthy, to help us not carry the burden ourselves, I guess? What are some of these, the things you share? Yeah, happy to talk you through them, man. Let me share why I, I also can do that, because as I then gave my talk also, because people heard me on radio, they called me and said, can you come and talk to us about this? And the, the Women Association in Singapore wanted me to come and give a talk. And then right. it was all the chambers of commerce. I think I spoke to almost all the chambers of commerce around <laughs> and gave my talk. And everyone had the same question after my talk. Well, that's great for you. You had an alcohol problem and that's where you really got the best help in the year. What do I do if I'm not an alcoholic? Where should I get my help? And as I had that question the whole time, I, I didn't want to tell people to go out and drink until you have a problem so you can go in and get that beautiful support. <laughs> so, so that's when I started to analyze, you know, what are the steps I've taken here to really, you know, get well? Uh, and removing the alcohol part, uh, which not everyone has an issue with. And that's what I've wrote in my book. And I wrote the five steps. So most uh, recovery program have 12 steps. But the summary that I wrote was the five steps there. And I'm happy to, yeah, to yeah, Matt, to through. just talk you yeah, briefly yeah. through them. Yeah. yeah, let's do. Let's go through them. Yeah, so the first one, and this can be a shock for people if they haven't done it before. The first one was taking stock. Mm-hmm. And if you think about a business owner or if you have a shop, you will do an audit or stock take once a month or a quarter, at least once a year to know what's mm-hmm. there. But how often do we do an uh, honest audit of ourselves? How often do we get out a pen and paper or a spreadsheet and write everything down? I'm overweight. I have an alcohol problem. I have some broken relationships and list them. Uh, and in my case, I had not spoken with my sister for a while. I had something going on with the neighbors and I had resigned from some jobs. It was unsaid things. And there was all these things that was giving me pain and inside me. And I had to write that down and and I did that then in with a sponsor, but you can do it with a coach or a mentor or a friend and just get everything down on paper. Mm -hmm. And so really kind of being uh, real with, I kind of, when I was writing my notes, the things left undone, kind of like, I'm assuming that the relationships were probably the most painful part of that, because that's where it's usually the most painful, right? <laughs> Especially unspoken or un... I've got some of those, as you were speaking, I was like, yeah, I've got a couple of things that I probably should address in that in that area that I haven't, that I've just let set there, right? So Yeah. Take- and I say in my book also, you're only as sick as your secret. So it's about getting all these things down there. And at the first step is doing nothing about it, just writing it all down. Right. This can take a week or a few weeks where um, and I was encouraged even to think through all the way from young childhood. Mm. I dug out, you know, old school photos, looking at the picture of everyone, finding the name list, oh, thinking, wow. had I said something to someone who had hurt them? Was it something that was I bullied? Had I bullied someone? Mm-hmm. When, and, and really, so it's a proper inventory. And I wrote about 80, 90 things on this list. I've heard others have written up to 400 items. Wow. wow. So this is a very... This isn't a couple things that you write down that you think about that have happened in the last year. This is like an inventory of the relationships you've had in your life. 
Yes, uh, not only relationships, also the issues you have uh, if you have a credit card debt and and you have issues with whatever there are. Everything basically that can give you a harm or give you an issue or uh, uh, should be written down here in the first step. And then as we move over to the second step, then is add another column on the paper in the spreadsheet and, and start writing, who can I talk to this about uh, asking for help here? And that was just without starting to do that, but just writing it all down there. Okay. And so that's kind of your, who can help you navigate this or who can help you exactly understand or, or even work through just like you're doing with me, kind of thinking about the deeper levels of, and it really sounds like it's like anything at all that's causing any type of internal conflict, you want to write it down, right? Anything you feel guilty about, anything you feel shameful about, I mean, anything yeah. that you, you would not want to tell somebody else, this is what you're writing down. Exactly. And as you can imagine for any 12 step program, may it be a for gambling addiction, social media addiction, drugs or alcohol or whatever the addiction is, you need to remove that because those are the triggers. So that mm. was what I learned, you know, and I uh. thought I worked with coaches. I gone for so many trainings and never have I been told to do this. And there's so many people who have sugar addictions who go and grab food and they gain, suddenly gain weight. They're not happy about it, but it's all these triggers. So it works for any addiction or any problems and any issues. Because the triggers, well, the trigger, but then whatever you're doing to coat the pain is not going to go away as long as the underlying trigger, the underlying pain is not being addressed. There's always going to be something else, right? And, I, and I've seen that. So if somebody's, like you said, has a social media addiction and then they eliminate that, then they find some other addiction to replace it with because they, the pain underlying cause is still still prevalent. It's still there. It hasn't Absolutely. Left. Okay. Yeah. So once you've written that down, then on the third step is, and I said, it's about getting healthy first to address anything with the physical, the mental health, the emotional health, to look for those in the sheet, you know, and in my case, then it was, I needed a, basically a life coach, someone who can help me with the diet, getting me on wearable devices, tracking my, tracking my sleep. Mm -hmm. And we started by just some basic plans to get back into walking, eventually some cycling and running again. And I put an aggressive target and a goal with him for a year later where I wanted to be. And uh, then nutrition advice. I even had to do one of the apps where you punch in all the food you're eating. Mm -hmm. And he said, can, can you change this to something like this? You know, and mm. he helped me to, 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 and motivated me to lose all the fat then and getting back again. And with that came a lot of confidence, which then spilled over to other areas of my life. And I needed that because I was, you know, really unwell. And removing the alcohol, then I had to get other parts into my life. And so getting healthy was indeed the third one. Hmm. And so what's number four? Yeah, so that's the painful one, the relationships. And <laughs> I think this is something that perhaps most people don't do because it's so painful. And and if I mention again, then my sister I haven't spoken with for a while. What had happened was we had a family lunch and my son at that time was five years of age. And he had never had a soda. And when I didn't look, my sister had given him a Coke. I thought that he shouldn't drink something like that. Because I was not in a good space back then, I didn't have much patience. Instead of politely saying he shouldn't drink that and remove it, you know, I snapped and I dragged my son and, and ran off the table. And then later on, she, she called and messaged, tried to say sorry, trying to talk to me. And I just ignored it. I just left it. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, then it was left like that. And as I went through then, you know, my relationships, there was a lot of things going back many, many years before. And 
even as I said, from some job I resigned, others where there was pain. And I would then work through this with a sponsor and line by line, person by person, I went over and cleaned this, went back, apologized, made amends to everyone, unless this person was not alive anymore. And then I would write a letter apology, which I would burn or throw in the rubbish bin and maybe do a prayer on it. So at least I'd done my part. And it is about cleaning my side of the street. And also not going back to an ex-girlfriend who is remarried and you dig out something that can damage it. That's not the point. It's Mm. about just making sure that you neutralize all the emotions that you have there. And indeed, if you have a dispute with your neighbor or something silly that was said a few years ago and that was not solved, you clean your side of the street. And in also, as I mentioned, it could be some financial issues. So in my case, I had a credit card debt and I had to go back. Instead of hiding, going back to the bank and being honest with them and say, I have this issue, but I cannot pay it now. Can you help me? I'm on a better path. I, will, I want to pay it back. Can you give me a payment installment plan? And every bank will do that then. And then you know, you're getting again that confidence as you're cleaning up your, your past and you're ready to move forward. Hmm. And so some of these were then literally you're reaching out to people that you can reach out to. And it sounds like an apology, a letter, whatever, but then just addressing if you hadn't, you said you had 80 to 90 things on your list, you literally are going down through the list and just starting at wherever or skipping around, but just cleaning up your, as you say, the trash, your side of the street and making amends, or at least becoming to your, you said neutral within yourself about that, that relationship, that issue. Absolutely. And you will start by talking through, in this case with a sponsor, I did it and now I'm helping others to do this, but can do it with a coach otherwise or anyone, but think about first, you know, your parents, your family, your spouses, whatever. And if you think over it, you will have some pains there thinking back. There was probably something you said sometime to your dad or something like that, that maybe was not nice, but it's too, you're too embarrassed or too shy to admit it and too shy to raise it. It will always be with you as some kind of baggage until you, you manage to sort it out. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, for you, was that mostly in writing or was that like phone calls or in person or was it all of the above? So in the case of my sister, I contacted her then after a few years, we had not really spoken. We had seen each other at some common lunches or whatever with the family, but not really spoken when she avoided me because she, the way I had been acted. And I, I told her, I reached out and I said, I, I'm sorry about what happened a few years ago and I wonder would you um, have time for a lunch and then I apologized and I said I'm working on myself and I explained a little bit about the issues I've gone through and I'm on a different and better path now and you know and she at that stage hardly remembered the initial incident and she was just grateful for it and these days our relationship is perfectly fine again Mm, very cool and then so relationship you said that's a hard one one most people don't want to do but obviously extremely important for this process, right? For the 12, yes. and I know they address this in the 12-step process as, as well, right? Making amends, that's yes. a big part of the 12-step program. Yes. So, And in the 12-step program then, and what I do now is to do this on a day-to-day basis. So I have done mm-hmm. this once, this huge cleanup. Mm-hmm. And actually, I in my program, I, I'm on my deferred time now. I've done all the steps and I'm in deferred time. So you never stop. You keep going and then oh. you probably find something more. And... The best is if I catch myself right away. If I send an email, I say something, I should stop uh, right away and say, sorry, I take that back. I'm so sorry I didn't mean that. And make the amend right away in the apology. 
And the, the, at the last time I should do it is when I go to bed, I need to think over the day and uh, diary it, or think through, you know, was it something I said? And so that you, when you go to bed, you have a clean sheet mm-hmm. and you can sleep well. Nothing will then bother you. Very interesting. And then what's the last step then? You clean up all so your the life. fifth, yeah, and you touched on this before also yourself, Matt. It's about perhaps finding your purpose. And in mm. in case of the high achievers, we discussed, and we rarely stop and think about these things. And uh, and it's about deflating the ego, perhaps uh, a little bit, and just realize that we are not running the show, and uh, just taking a little bit of a seat back. And that's what I done. So as I gone through the first four steps, it's now about helping others to go through mm-hmm. it, and you know getting out of myself and that's where I find my happiness. Mm, Beautiful. And so that's why, you know, the impetus for the book, Executive Loneliness, and then you now coach and have a coaching container for executives, I guess. What do you do in that container? What do you do with the uh, EGN network? I mean, what is that? What do you do there? Yeah, so the EGN network is a bit like the Vistage or the YPO and we have, so while those groups are mainly for CEOs. We also have for senior executives. Mm-hmm. We even have for middle managers and groups, peer groups for them to discuss. And But there's so many mastermind groups out there also these days. It's about having a safe space outside your workplace where you can be a bit vulnerable and discuss your challenges and get some help with it. So when you're going through a difficult time, you know, admit to yourself and admit to that group that you don't have all the answers because sometimes you cannot do that in the workplace. But if we all have practice being vulnerable and I say we need to practice our vulnerability muscle it's about being open learning to be open and it's okay to not have all the answers by me then having gone through my journey I encourage the shares who are running our groups and the 800 members now in my network to really be open and vulnerable so I need to set the scene first if I want conversations to be honest in the groups and I can refer compare this with a 12-step program because the 12-step program, the honesty and the openness is one level much higher, right? So I'm trying to bring norm, normal people into <laughs> that space when we are completely open. And that is what I'm trying to achieve. Yes. And that's amazing. I think as I've navigated my own life and navigated some of my life in groups similar to this, there's something that's very healthy about being in community with people that where there's a high level of trust. There's a high level of transparency and people can get vulnerable and not feel judged or looked down on, right? Especially when you're talking peer to peer type groups, it's, I've watched it in different groups be very healthy and very kind of letting the air out of the stress of the balloon of I've got to have all my shit together when in reality, nobody really has all their shit together. We have different levels of, I think, being proficient at things, <laughs> but, but life is life, right? There's ups and downs and there's, you know, there's challenges that come up and it's how do we navigate the challenges versus, you know, I think the depression and the anxiety and all that's just driven by holding to your point, just holding stuff in makes it much, much worse than just having somewhere to wherever that is. So if people don't have kind of a resource that you provide, kind of where do you suggest they turn? Well, there's so much support out there. If we're starting at the mental health space, there's so many, well, there's a 12 step program for every issue. Basically, that's a good starting uh-huh. point. And uh-huh. then there's so many charities and organizations full of volunteers 
Uh, I'm also a volunteer and fundraiser for SOS Samaritans in Singapore, which is a suicide hotline. Mm-hmm. So yeah, everyone can look on, on a search engine and try to find a group. There's all these mentoring men groups and so on as well. And, and so you can always join a club and something like that. But if you need some professional help, indeed, there's coaches, there's also consultants and, and uh, psychologists and therapists. And the beautiful thing now after the pandemic is that most of these sessions can be booked and done on Zoom. So you don't oh, have right. to be seen. Yeah. You, don't, you can do it anonymously. And what do you have to lose? You can do it during uh, your lunch hour and in your own privacy. So I would say seek out and, you know, there's professional peer groups, but otherwise there can be mastermind groups. You can set up a mastermind group yourself with five, six, seven like-minded, perhaps someone who runs similar businesses or at your seniority where you're just having honest conversations. Yes, totally. And I think that to your point, that honest conversation, like, oh, I'm in a uh, Bible study that I found very helpful for me during the, I'd never really done that. And so a friend of mine said, hey, would you like to do this with me? I was like, at first I was like, no, not really. And then after a couple of months of like still experiencing lots of pain in my life, I was like, yeah, I'll try that. <laughs> I'll try about anything once you get to the desperation, right? And so I tried it. It was very healthy for me. And then we, you know, brought in more people. So there's six people in this Bible study group. And I've, it's been kind of interesting to watch, you know, my experience in YPO and with kind of a professional group. Well, these are all entrepreneurs at different levels. And so, so there is that connection. But then when you tie in scripture, it gives it kind of this common language that we can kind of tie to. But I've just watched it be so healthy for everybody in the group just to have the ability for the most part. Now it's really, we spend very little time like recite, you know, just looking at the scriptures, more of just the open sharingness and the vulnerability. And, and this is what's happening with the spouse or my kids or this. And I've just watched it in the group, just be so healthy for people just to be able to like open up and let some of that weight off. Right. It's like, oh, it's not just me. I'm not the only one that worries about this. I'm not the only one that, you know, has desperation around finances or relationships or whatever it is, right? Work or whatever, whatever that is. So yeah, I would definitely, if nothing else, I hope people, that's what people get from this, our conversation today is don't do this alone. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're right. I think 90% of all the challenges that we are going through, someone else will have. If you have a group of five, six people, oh, it will all be there. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yes. Yeah. Even when you think that, I think we, you know, I always have looked at those times where I've clammed up and got isolated because, and then there's always this belief, well, it's only happening to me. I'm the only one that's ever experienced it. And that's a total lie. Like that's the biggest lie is that somehow I'm so magical that I'm the only one on the face of the earth has this problem. It's like, no, no, no. There are lots of people that are experiencing these same things, right? Yeah. And I should say, we have ad- added one thing also to our network. Now we have a, an app and there's a button there called ask the network and you can mm-hmm. ask a question and then we filter it to an audience. So someone right. just, when we started it, someone is looking for a business lawyer in this kind of, in this uh-huh. part of the world, you know, and immediately they post it and in real time they're getting answers. So it's, again, everyone around you, just keep practicing, keep supporting each other. Just ask if you need help and be there for one another. And you can move much faster as well, right? Mm -hmm. Totally, totally, totally. Where do people find out more about your work? They go to a website, you follow you on LinkedIn, obviously, but what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, so I'm active on LinkedIn, so they can look up Nick Johnson on LinkedIn, and that's N-I-C-K-J-O-N-S-S-O-N. Otherwise, if they're interested in my book, it's on Amazon, both as a Kindle 
book, hardcover, and also on Audible if they prefer audiobook, and it's called Executive Loneliness. And then as we wind up our time here today, I love asking this question at the end of the podcast just to bring kind of succinctness and clarity to, but what would be something that you do want every single person on the face of the earth, right? Eight billion people. If we, you know, capture this next couple, you know, minute or two, and we were able to broadcast this worldwide, what would have the highest impact and the most resonance with people worldwide? Well, I think if everyone can write down the most painful thing that they have on their mind and also ask that, uh, talk to one person about that. Just to let that. The most painful thing and just talk to someone uh, within that day, then a lot of things will be solved. A lot of pain will be lifted. Oh, love it. Love it. Sim- simple and highly impactful. Well, Nick, thank you so much for coming on uh, the Bright Vibe podcast today. I certainly appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it as well. And, uh, you know, you're now a friend of the show. So anytime you'd like to come back on and visit about, you know, new iterations of what you're doing, or if you have a new book or speaking somewhere, we'd love to have you come back on and visit anytime. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Matt. And thanks to the listeners as well. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for being a part of the Bright Vibe podcast. For more information, go to brightvibe.com. That's B-R-I-T-E, vibe, V-I-B-E.com. Thank you for listening.